Get the rest of that not going on. We'll give you a little quick review of what we went over. But I saw someone who published this, and maybe some of you can appreciate this. It's called The Rules of Chocolate. It says, first off, if you've got melted chocolate all over your hands, you are eating too slowly. Chocolate-covered raisins, cherries, orange slices, and strawberries all count as fruit. So eat as many as you want. The problem, how to get two pounds of chocolate home from the store in a hot car. The solution, eat it in the parking lot. A nice box of chocolates can provide your total daily intake of calories in one place. Isn't that handy? If you can't eat all your chocolate, it will keep in the freezer. But if you can't eat all the chocolate, what is wrong with you? What do we call equal amounts of dark chocolate and milk chocolate? A balanced diet. Chocolate has many preservatives. Preservatives make you look younger. You might like this one. Put eat chocolate at the top of your list of things to do today. That way, at least you'll get one thing done. Well, those would be nice rules to live by, wouldn't there? There are some rules that we discover in the Word of God. That if we spend some time, we can, we can see how they apply to our life, how they apply to other areas. And we want to discover some of those rules. We talked about it last week that if a passage of Scripture is something we can't quite get a hold of, can't quite understand, then we need to seek light from other places in the Scriptures, not from our experience. Too often people seek light from experience. They don't seek light from the Word. But the Word is all the light that we need. I've been holding on to that quote for a little while, but if you saw that quote in your Bible, in your uh, uh, bulletin here this morning, uh, I just love the way uh, Keith put that. I, I inserted the word God because um, um, if you listened to the whole message, you would have gotten that. But mm-hmm. that was his actual quote there. It was real, real good. It's uh, in there for you if you didn't read that already. We went over last week some of the signs that you were in pride. We'll just go over some of these things again real briefly, but... If you become resistant to correction, if people come up and correct you and you become resistant to it, that is a sign that you are in pride. If you have conversations with other people about folks that are not present, about all the things they do that is wrong, folks, you got a pride issue. Shouldn't be doing that. Don't be, don't be, don't be getting into that area. If you become offended, lose your temper, become impatient. If you look at other people as if most everyone else is wrong, you have a pride issue. Love covers a multitude of sins. Pride points them out. Be careful with that. If you see few people as good as you in whatever area you specialize in, probably have a pride issue. We saw that Elijah fell into despair. Very often, maybe not always, but very often when we fall into despair and depression, it is because of pride. Somehow we feel we don't deserve something. Somehow we feel we did deserve something we didn't get. Somehow we think that life is not fair. Somehow these things get into our head. The last one we gave you, and we gave you some other ones last week, but if you see anything as impossible, you have a pride issue. Anything as impossible. Because the Word of God says that how many things are possible? All things. In order for you to see anything as being impossible, you have to assert your will over God's. Your word, your thought over God's. That's a pride issue. Pride works its way into all sorts of things. 
We started this series out looking at the looking at King Asa and the story that was told about him. It said in the Word of God in Second Chronicles, uh, chapter fifteen. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days, all his days, and yet we found out that Asa, in the last couple of years of his life, had wandered away from where he had gone. He began to oppress some people. He jailed a prophet. He tried to point it out. And he did not seek the Lord when his feet became diseased. And to us, that wouldn't sound like that, he, uh, that, he, um, that his heart was loyal to the Lord all his days. But that is what the Word of God said about it. So we wanted to find out what's going on with this. How is this possible? 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 11, we saw this. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David. So we brought in some algebra last week. Remember, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. That's algebra. If Asa equals David, then the things we learn about David's life apply to Asa's. Because it says that that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David. In verses 4 and 5 of the same chapter, 1 Kings 15, Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him by establishing Jerusalem, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be great if God could say that about you or me? Yes. Steve did everything in his life according to the command of the Lord except one thing. That'd be pretty good. Most of us would have to graduate to that level, right? So we can't necessarily sit here and point fingers at David because he, he messed up in one thing. But we began to look last week that uh, David didn't just mess up in one thing. And last week we took a look at David moving the ark. And the Word of God was very clear about how you are to move the ark. The ark is to be moved by the use of poles. But we found that David wanted to move the ark to the new city that he had just captured, Jerusalem. They're going to set up the temple, or not the temple, he wanted, He eventually would be wanting to uh, put the temple there. But they're going to put the sacrifices and move all those things over to Jerusalem. And so he wanted to move the ark. And so he moved the ark by putting it on a brand new cart. And he took that on on the way, and they had all kinds of stuff going on, and there's lots of uh, extra stuff, lots of noise, lots of uh, worship, lots of uh, instruments being used. And we had two guys on either side of the ark and the cart that it was on, and it said the oxen stumbled, and the ark, I guess, looked like it might tip over or whatever it was, but Uzzah uh, stuck his hand out and prevented it from going over. And we all know what happened to him. He died. Why did he die? Because the Word of God said, if you were here last week, you remember, we read it over. The Word of God said that the Lord was angry with David. No, I didn't say that, did it? It said the Lord was angry with the oxen. And the Lord was angry with the priests. No, who was the Lord angry at? Was it Uzzah's decision to put the ark on the cart? Not at all. Whose decision was it? 
it was David's. Where do we find the instructions for moving the ark? In the Word of God. It's all laid out there. This is how you move the ark. This is what you do. David didn't do that. Where did David get the idea to move the ark on a cart? We went over that last week. He got it from heathen. Philistines. Because they had captured the ark in a battle. And bad things happened. When the ark was in the wrong place, bad things happened. Their idol broke, bowed down to the ark. There was disease. Bad things were happening. And they decided we need to get rid of this thing. And so they said, this is what we're going to do. Because they didn't want to deliver it over to Israel. I mean, if you are the enemy of Israel and you are walking in with their ark, it's probably not going to go well. So they didn't want to do that. So they put it on a, on a cart and they said, if the, car, if the oxen take the cart into the land of Israel, then we know it was God. If they just kind of wander around, then it wasn't. And so they watched, and as soon as they put it on the, the ark on the cart, the oxen took off for Israel. They said, well, I guess that was God. So Israel's over there, and they're watching, and they see the cart come with the ark, and it makes it just fine. So David got his idea of moving the ark of God from the Philistines instead of the word of God. And before we pick on David, you know, we, we, this is why we got sidetracked. We spent all our time on this part, that we have let the world affect our view of God, our view of the word. And instead of letting the word correct us, we let the world do it. We let experience do it. We got too many carts and not enough poles. Too many carts and not enough poles. See, the poles are what the word of God tells us to do. The cart is what the world says, oh, this might work. And you know what? It worked the first time. How many people do, I, I have not, I don't get a paper, but I know that they're in there because I hear people talking about it. The folks in the classifies, they post these prayers because, you know, it worked for somebody that if you publish this prayer and, you know, they'll put it at the, at the end, they'll publish the prayer and at the end they'll put, if you publish this prayer 10 times or whatever, then you, whatever you want is going to be done. Why? Well, it worked for somebody back there. It doesn't work for most people. Somehow somebody said, well, it worked for me. Is it in the Word of God? It is not in the Word of God. But we go by experience. Too often, folks, we go by experience. We don't go by the Word of God. We were watching a movie. Uh, some of you may have already seen it. Um, I already got the review of the book and found out you know, that the movie didn't, was not as good as the book, which is most of the case, right? And, uh, but uh, Alyssa and Nikolai picked up that movie and brought it on over. Uh, uh, what was it called again? Heaven is Real. How many saw Heaven is Real? I heard that the uh, movie was far off from the actual account. But it was an interesting movie. But in the, in the movie, they had the picture of the church. You know, the pastor was there at the church. And the thing that jumped out at me about this, this wasn't part of the movie at all. It just was jumping out to me, is that the church was empty, was a little bit full in the beginning. Then it got emptier. And then he announced he was going to talk about the experience of going to heaven. And the church filled up. More people are interested in experience than they are in the word. It's a shame, but that is the truth. What is going to carry you through life? The Word, not experience. But too often we look at experience. So here we saw in this story that we got too many carts in our lives. We're supposed to have poles. We got carts. Well, this experience, we have this experience. We have people who did it this way. We have this. Now, what does the Word of God say? Well, that's hard to do it that way. It don't matter. That's what the Word of God says to do. 
You need to do what the Word of God says to do. Yeah, but it wasn't working for me. Do what the Word of God said. But it's hard. You know how hard it is to carry that ark on a pole? I mean, it wears out your arms, your shoulders are hurting afterwards, your neck is tight. Well, that's what we saw in the first time. So here's what we, we saw. That afterwards, uh, David saw that Uzzah died and he was angry at God for that. And he's also fearful. In verse, uh, 2 Samuel 6, verse 9, it says, David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? We put in your outline and I didn't leave them as blank. They're already filled in for you now. The unknown with the things of God can bring fear, anger, inaction, and or defective belief. How many times have we heard it said by people? Well, you just can't know the secret things of the Lord. Boy, is that ever garbage. There are some things that the Lord will keep secret. But if he revealed it in his word, it's for you to know. And you need to spend time to get to know it. You need to find out. Try and pull that excuse to your chemistry teacher. Well, I got that one wrong because, you know, the secret things of chemistry belong to science. <laughs> what will he tell you? You should have studied harder. <laughs> That's what God's going to tell you, too. should have studied it out. Just because it's unknown and it produces fear, anger, inaction, or defective belief doesn't mean that you're okay. Get it fixed. We said they will keep you from receiving what you need or ask for from God. David wanted the ark to be moved, but he didn't move it because he was afraid of God. He was unsure. He was unknown about these things. He, he didn't expect somebody to die, but that's exactly what happened. What caused David to try again? Well, the house of Obed was being blessed. He said, man, this is great. I mean, my crops are doing great. All the cattle are doing wonderful. They're having all kinds of babies, and we're not losing any of them. And uh, all my business deals are just working. And I tell you what, my, my spreadsheet has just really gone well. <laughs> He's excited. I really appreciate you leaving that here. I mean, it has just been so good. And David says, I want that. <laughs> and so longing for something better, he decides to press in and find out what's he got to do. We don't know where he went. It doesn't seem that a prophet came and told him anything. So it would seem that either he went to the priest and say, how are we supposed to move this thing? Or he went to the word of God and he received the direction. But when he comes back, he's got it on poles. Now, a lot of times we'll focus on all the sacrifices that were being done. God didn't care whether the sacrifices are being done. Doesn't care that every so many paces the sacrifice is being made. What he cares about? Obey what you know. Do what you know. That's what you got to do. So David finally did that. He received that correction. As far as we know, no prophet had to come and correct him. He saw what was done wrong, and he just corrected it. That's a good thing to do, right? Well, there's another time in the Word of God that he missed it. And that's in 2 Samuel chapter 24. 2 Samuel chapter 24. Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. Now, that sounds weird. What it sounds like from here is that God was mad with Israel, so he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get David to do something wrong, and then I can jump on him. But if you go over to 1 Chronicles 21, where we see the same story, it says, Now Satan's, Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Very often in the Hebrew's mind, if God does not prevent something, God did it. And here you see the exact case in point. It is Satan that brought this about. 
it is Satan that stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. In Exodus chapter 30, verse 11, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. When you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. What God is saying is this. You need to, whenever you do a census, you need to do it in a certain way. If you don't do it in a certain way, a plague will begin in, the, in Israel. Now, there are times that God called for a census. But here, David is calling for the census. Does David know what the Word of God says about this? I'm pretty sure that David does. If you go through the, uh, the story here, we'll, we'll, we'll do this. Well, let's just go there. Verse 2. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Now go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and count the people that I may know the number of the people. How many know that Joab is a very spiritual man? No, he is not. Joab is not spiritual. Joab is a very good general, but he's not a very spiritual man. In fact, on David's deathbed, he says, you need to take care of Joab. He's, uh, he's messed up. I felt disqualified from, from dealing with him. But you need to deal with He told Solomon, you need to deal with Joab. And so he, uh, he did that after his father died. But Joab is not a spiritual man. Yet Joab knows this. And Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than there are. And may the eyes of the Lord my king see it. But why does my Lord the king desire this thing? He's even saying, you don't need to do this. Don't do it. He's trying to tell him, don't do it. But David says, no, we're going to do it. Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army. Not only Joab, but the captains of the army are saying, we shouldn't do this. But David prevailed. So David is getting correction from Joab. David is getting correction from the captains of the army. What is David doing with the correction? No, no, I'm going to do it this way. This is how I am going to count the folks. Therefore, Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. And they crossed over the Jordan and camped in Aror on the right side of the town, which is in the midst of the ravine of Gad and toward Jazir. They came to Gilead, Gilead and to the land of Tatim, Hadshi, and they came to Dan, John, and around to Sidon. And they came to the stronghold of Tyre and to all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. Then they went out to the south Judah as far as Beersheba. So when they had gone throughout all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. Now we're separating them there. They gave it to them all as one number, but they're separating here because at the time this was written, Israel was already split into two. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away your iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. No prophet came to David to rebuke him for this. It's David's heart. David's heart condemned him. David's heart on the inside said, I shouldn't have done this. I know from the word of God I shouldn't have done this, but I did it. I shouldn't have. I have brought the people into a place of judgment. I shouldn't have done this. And so he, uh, he came to the Lord and said, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now here's a note for you. Satan cannot move against you until you move off the word. 
Satan cannot move against you until you move off the word. You'll see this in e- with Eve in the garden. Satan could not move against her until she got off what the, has the Lord really said? Until he gets you off of what God said, he can't touch you. He's got to get you off of that. Israel in the wilderness. How many times did the Lord promise to take care of them? How many times did they come before? You brought us out here to kill us. He got them off the word. When they got them off the word, bad things happened. There was plagues that broke out. There were um, uh, enemies. Bad things happened when they got off the word. A number of times with them. We were listening to a a person teaching, and they brought up this as an example. Um, Jesus in the wilderness. Remember when he was tempted by the devil? This person brought up the idea. He says, why didn't the devil just push him off the pinnacle? It's like, well, I never really thought about it that way before, but yeah. He brought him up to the pinnacle. Why didn't he just push him off if he wanted to jump so much? Yeah. See, so how to get him off the word first. The devil can't push you. The devil can't do something to you until you give him the opportunity. Until he gets you off the word, he can't move against you. Go back to the story of Job. Boy, I tell you what, we had some time. We could spend some time on just just that. The actual wording of um, in, in heaven when Satan comes before is not have you considered my servant Job, but you are considering my servant Job. It changes it just a little bit, doesn't it? And when Jesus says, or when in heaven when it said, well, he's already in your hand, or he is in your hand, God is not giving him permission. He's just acknowledging the fact. Why is Job already in the hand of Satan? We go through the Word of God and said, the thing that I feared has come upon me. We also look back in, the, in that and we found out that every time his kids had a party, he would go and have a sacrifice for them just in case they did anything wrong. Well, who's supposed to offer the sacrifice? The person who missed it. You're supposed to come and say, I missed it, I did this, and here's my sacrifice. Well, Job's just bypassing all that. And uh, he was in fear. Did a lot of things out of fear, not based on the Word of God. He still did a lot of things based on the Word of God. That's why he prospered. But there some, there, he gave a, an opening. Satan can't move against you till he can get you off the Word. That's why he wants to get you out of the Word. That's why he wants to get you to focus on other things. Get you out of the... Not be mindful of the Word of God. Not like I taught the Word of God. Not read the Word of God. What's to get you out of the Word of God? Parable of the sower. What's the goal of the enemy? To get the Word. To get the Word. If we can get you off the Word, we can get you. Well, we've got to get you off the Word. The attacks of the devil come as thoughts. He wants to get you to think something different. The Word of God wants you to be thinking on the things of the Word. So we see that David's heart condemned him after he numbered the people. It was his heart. It came up on the inside of him. And he received it. Verse 11. Now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer. This is after he's already realized, I missed it. And he's gone to God to ask for forgiveness. Then the word comes to the seer. Go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. So God came to David and told him, and he said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? 
Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days, three days plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. And David said to God, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. So he says, out of the two, of the, out of the three, I really don't like one. But I'll let the Lord pick between the other two. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from morning till the appointed time, from Dan to Beersheba. Seventy thousand men of the people died. The next morning, and when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, It is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Raranah, the Jebusite, David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Surely I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. And God came that day to David and said to him, Go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor. So David, according to the word of God, went up as the Lord commanded. Now Aaronah looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. So Aaronah went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Then Aaronah said, Why has the Lord the king come to the servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now Aaronah said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are, here are oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing implements and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All these, O king, Aaronah has given to the king. And Aaronah said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. The king said to Aaronah, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. Now, too often, folks, we want to offer stuff that God doesn't cost us anything. We want to do things for God that don't have any sacrifice, any cost on our side. So David brought, bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers of the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. This site will become the location of the temple. We associate the temple with, of course, the sacrifice of Moriah on, on Mount Moriah with uh, Abraham and his son. Well, the two sites are identical. But when it is talked about as far as the site of the temple, it is first off referred to as the place where David made this sacrifice to stop the plague. But it is both places. Both places are the same. Well, here's some things that we can, we can look at from this. There's three sins that we're here. And here's the, uh, the other one. Uh, this is the looking one. In 2 Samuel 11 and 12, you can go back there and read that over if you like to. But we know that David had gone out on his roof, was looking out and saw the beautiful woman Bathsheba. He called to her and she came and, you know, things happened. and We know the story real, real well with that one. And uh, when David got word that she was pregnant, he sent uh, to get her husband to come home and he wouldn't do anything to help David cover up the sin. So David decided, well, this is what we'll do. We'll gave him a note, sent a note to Joab, got him involved in the sin. That's why he's compromised from dealing with Joab. One of the reasons he was compromised in dealing with Joab. So, Joab gets the note, handed to him by the husband. He's handing the note here. 
The note says, kill them. Put them on the front where there's a fierce battle. And uh, then back off. Have everybody back off. And, and don't let him back off. And then everybody will surround him and kill him. And so uh, Joab did that. And, of course, uh, he probably tried some new tactic that he wanted to try out. And it didn't work. And so when, instead of being rebuked by David, he said, after you t- say all this, if David wants to rebuke us for what we did, you just tell him that the wife of Beth, or the husband of Bathsheba is dead. Uriah is dead. And then David was okay with all that. Here's some similar, similar things about it. In the first sin that we looked at, did anyone die? Uzzah died. Yeah. In the second sin we looked at, when he was counting, did anyone die? Oh, a lot of people. 70,000 people died. That's a lot of people. In the sin with Bathsheba, did anyone die? Yeah. Uriah died. There may have been some other people in the battle, too, who died. But the only one of note was Uriah. So there may have been some other people there. So all three of these sins, people died for them. Now, in the sin with the plague, you might be thinking, well, why does God take it on these folks? If it's David's error, why is it that they died? What does the Word of God say that we read? If you take the census, who was supposed to make the sacrifice? The people who were counted. The people who were counted were supposed to make a sacrifice. So if the people were counted and they didn't make a sacrifice, what did they do? They opened the door for the enemy. God knew it would open up the door for the enemy. That's why I said, do this. Cover that up. They didn't do it. All three of these sins, people died. If you had a sin, how many have ever committed a sin where people died? No, okay. Three of the sins David does, three of the sins we're looking at here, people died. How many of them does God mention when it says that David served the Lord all his days except for what? The matter with Uriah the Hittite. Just because people die does not elevate a sin. It does in our minds, doesn't it? I mean, if you're a murderer, we, we look at that as something greater. But God does not even talk about those two. There has to be a reason why God does not talk about the sin with the counting of the people or the moving of the ark. He doesn't talk about it. He only talks about Looking, Bathsheba. And in fact, if you remember the story, if you go back through there and you, and you do read it, when the prophet comes and rebukes him about this, the prophet says, you have given the enemy of Israel an opportunity. Why? Because you got off the word. You get off the word, you give the enemy an opportunity in your house. Stay on the word. Stay with the word. What word you know, stay with it. Now, these people who died in the plague... What if they didn't know that they were supposed to make the sacrifice? Could they stand before God and say, God, I didn't know I was supposed to make the sacrifice. What does God say? I told you. I told you. It's in the Word. I didn't read it. Yeah. It's not my fault, is it? (laughs) Is it God's fault that you didn't read it? Is it God's fault that you didn't study it? Is it God's fault that you didn't understand it? No. No. Because the Word of God says that if you lack wisdom on anything, what should you do? Ask, and He will give you, liberally. He'll understand it. Jesus said this to His disciples one time. He says, uh, he said, why do you speak to the people in parables? He said, it is for you to know the secrets of the kingdom. Are you a disciple of Jesus? And it's for you to know. 
You are privileged to know some things that the world is not privileged to know. And they won't hear and they won't understand it. So anyway, David buys this altar, sets up a, or buys this uh, land, sets up a altar, and the plague is, is stopped. I want to read to you a chapter that will really give us some light on this. Help us out. In 2 Kings chapter 22, because remember, our purpose here is to find out why does God look at Asa in a certain way. 2 Kings 22, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedediah, the daughter of Adiah of Bazka. Eight-year-old king, that's uh, pretty young. We all know Josiah, the great reformer. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in all the ways of his father David, and did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shapham, the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, the gatekeepers, which the doorkeepers have gathered in the Lord. Because he, he was taking up an offering. He wanted to rebuild this, this place. So they are uh, going through there and, and they do this and down, jump down to, to verse 8. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to the Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it to the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the Lord, or before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Now imagine this. You are in Israel, the land that serves God, and they didn't even know the book of the law existed. They are rebuilding the temple. Getting it going again uh, from its, all his t- days of being neglected. But they did not even know that there was a book that God had given of law. They didn't know it was there. Can you imagine that? In Israel, they did not know that the scrolls were there. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Achor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah servant of the king, saying, Go inquire the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah, concerning the words of the book that have been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written. He heard the words of the book. And he says, Man, we are guilty of some stuff. Oh, man. And did you, did you hear what God's going to do if we do these things? He's going to do this and this and this. And we're already seeing some of that. And he's going to do this and this. And these things are coming to us. Oh, man, this is bad news. So Hilkiah the priest, Ahikim, Akbor, Shaphan, Isaiah, went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of Harsus, keeper of the wardrobe. Got a keeper of the wardrobe here. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they spoke with her. And they said that, then she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me. Now, I think this is kind of comical. Because in a prophecy many, many decades before this, God t- called him by name. And now he says, tell the man. Decades before, God says a king will be born to the house of David, Josiah by name. He will tear down this altar. 
And now he leaves his name out. I don't know why. Apparently it's not important. Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. Hmm. Well, I mean, have you ever gone in knowing that you expected a certain thing, knowing that judgment could fall on you and you, you know, you're pleading for leniency? You're driving on down the road, 85 miles an hour. The lights come on behind you. Pull over. What are you hoping for? You're hoping for some, some mercy, some leniency, some grace. I know I deserve a ticket, officer, but... And we may come up with an excuse or, or something along those, those lines. Verse 18. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, the day would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers. You shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. Now, if you had the book of the law, and you didn't know what was in the book of the law, you didn't know the book of the law existed, how many of you know probably somewhere in the lifespan of Josiah up to this point, he has missed it, according to the book of the law? Then not only are his parents guilty, not only are the, the other folks in, in Israel guilty, but he probably has missed, he, he probably heard something, oh man, I just did that yesterday. I did not know. I wouldn't have done it. See, as soon as the word came to Josiah, what's he do? As soon as he heard, tore his clothes, humbled himself before the Lord. Verse 19 again. Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse. And you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you. So he makes a promise that he will be gathered to his fathers. He will be gathered and he will die and be at peace. That the calamity of the book that was promised would not come in his lifetime. But what's the words of God say about it coming? It's coming. It's coming. But it won't come in your lifetime. Why? Because he had a tender heart. And because when he heard the words of the law, he humbled himself and he received the correction. They make excuses. They just took that. that. That's what was important to God. A king came up after Josiah. If you spend time in the Word of God and you want to read ahead, you'll find out that the king that came up after him didn't follow after God the same way that Josiah did. And the calamity that the Word of God promised came. What would have happened if the next generation of people, the next king came up, said, as Josiah repented, we also are going to repent. Do you think a word would have come from God? I see that you have repented. I see that you have humbled yourself in the presence of God. You think the word of God would have come to him and said, I won't bring this about in your lifetime either. He did it for Josiah. Why did he do it? Because 
he humbled himself. That's why. So if the next king does it, what happens if the king after that does it? And the king after that does it? I think God would have kept delaying it, holding it off, holding it off, holding it off, holding it off. But God has a history with Israel. God knows what they have done. God says, I'd like to think that they might do this again, but I, they won't. They won't. Well, I think Israel put two good kings together once or twice. It wasn't often. Kings of the, of the north, Israel, they didn't even put two good kings. They didn't even put one good king on the throne. None. Not a single good king in the north. If you see that someone was king in the north, just know they were bad. Every single one of them. Was it the Wizard of Oz, the witch of the north? Isn't she the bad one? I don't remember all the Wizard of Oz stuff. Isn't it the, 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 the one of the south? Isn't she supposed to be the good one? Oh, is it? Wicked Witch of the West. But isn't the king of the, the one of the north, isn't she bad too? I thought there was a bunch of bad ones. Because there, there was one that the house landed on. And she was, wasn't she evil? She was, she was evil. And then there's the, the one that we see in the story. Is she in the south? She should be. If she wants to be biblical, she ought to be in the south. We can go out there and correct the Wizard of Oz. You know. Good ones come from the south. Bad ones come from the north. And that's just how it is. I mean, go to the book of uh, Revelation. Go to the end times. What's the bad king? The bad king involved in the end times is known as the king of the the king of the north. The king of the north. We shouldn't be in north, north parts. I feel bad for the folks in Canada. Nah, we're just having fun with that part. But anyway, if they would have continued to repent and to follow in Josiah's footsteps, would God have delayed it again? Would God have delayed it again after that? But he didn't even, get his, didn't even have a choice. They immediately left, following after God. We went into this story for this reason. I want you to see that God responds when our heart is tender. When we receive instruction. Ignorance is not an excuse before God. But when you are finally told what was going on, you need to fix it. The Word of God tells us in the New Testament. Why is it that some people die and go home early? Because they do not discern the Lord's body correctly. In other words, they don't know. The Word of God tells us also that for a lack of knowledge, my people perish. It's not good to be ignorant. The Word of God, we just went over this in the last series. What is the most important thing for you to get in this life? Wisdom. Wisdom. God's wisdom comes with understanding and discernment. God's wisdom is not empty. The best thing you can get is wisdom. We get wisdom from the Word of God. What do most people pursue? Experience, feelings, things on a social level. We don't pursue the Word. It's, it's going to hinder you. That is the number one thing. We are told, uh, Creflo Dollar always said, I love the way he emphasizes it. and You listen to his message. Above all things, and all you're getting, get wisdom. Get understanding. Above all things, all things, get wisdom. Get understanding. 
That needs to be your focus. Oh, I need healing. I need money. No, above all things, get wisdom and understanding. You get those things, you'll find you get the other one too. So as we said, when the Word of God does not plainly tell us a matter, we've got to look for light from other places. That's why we've gone to these other places. Because our question is, why is that okay? In Second uh, Chronicles 16, verse 7, And at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to ask the king of Judah and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army? with very many chariots and horsemen, yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout all the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on you shall have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. Who should have Asa been mad at? Himself. But he blamed others. Note that the acts of Asa first and last are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. So that's a couple of years. He uh, didn't seek the Lord on his disease. Put the prophet in jail. We don't, we're never told that he let him out. And he oppressed some of the people at that time. So, how is it that God can say of Asa that his heart was loyal to the Lord all his days? Does that description of the last couple of years of Asa seem to indicate that he was loyal? Hmm. It doesn't to me either. Kind of to wonder about that. I put this in your outline for you to write down. Our repetition of sin is not as much a problem. You can scratch out that. I think I got an extra that in there. Our repetition of sin is not as much a problem as our resistance to his correction. Our repetition of sin is not as much of a problem as our resistance to his correction. Very often, folks, we look at our lives and we look at how often I repeat a sin. And the enemy comes along and brings that up to us, doesn't he? Look how many times you did that. Look how many times you did that. You just did that yesterday. And you want to walk this way. You just did that a week ago. What's to tell us all these things? And, you know, we may have missed it yesterday. We may have missed it the day before. But when the Word of God comes to us and we receive it, I shouldn't have done that. I sh- I sh- I... God, I know I, I missed it here. And we repent. Turn our way back to God. Our focus is often on the repetition, how often we keep missing God. Whereas God's focus is, how do you respond when correction comes? So that's why we looked at all these examples. How did Josiah respond when correction came? As soon as he heard it, tore his clothes, humbled himself before the Lord, and the Lord said, because you have humbled yourself before me, that's what he focused on, because you have done that. David, in the first sin we saw when he was moving the ark, he didn't go to the Word, he went to the world. But when he saw, when he saw there was a problem, he went back to the Word or went back to the prophets or the, the, the priests. How are we supposed to do this thing? And he received that correction 
And when he moved it the second time, he did it right. And the other one, when he was counting the people, he didn't need a prophet. He didn't need the word to come up. It says that his heart condemned him. And as soon as it did, he repented before God. Neither of those are listed in his account. The only one that is, is Uzziah. So, what happened when David's heart... Do you think David's heart condemned him about the sin with Bathsheba? What did David do when his heart condemned him about the sin of Bathsheba? You know, when, if David's heart did not condemn him to them, when the report came from Bathsheba, I'm pregnant, what do you think happened to David? Man, I missed it. Man, I blew it. <laughs> you probably... And so, instead of responding, what does David do? Plots how we can cover this up. And when that doesn't work... What's he do then? He plots how we can eliminate the problem. And he's not receiving correction from the word. He's not receiving correction from his heart. But when the prophet does finally come and correct him, he responds. But he ignored everything else up until then. What is it that impresses God? We saw it with Josiah. It is when you get the correction that you repent. What impresses us is that we cut down on the frequency. What impresses God is that we respond when we are corrected. So here's our supposition. And we have to wait to get to heaven to find out. I suppose exactly what happened here. But my idea with King Asa is that though he continued to miss it in those years, when his heart condemned him about it, he probably laid on his bed at night and said, Father, I, I don't want to be this way. But then something happened the next day and we'd operate that way again. And then he probably, heart would condemn him. The word of God has convicted him. And he may have changed him. I need to change that. I know, I'm going to let that prophet out of jail. I'm going to stop this thing with the pressing the people. But the next day would come up and he'd get pulled right back into it. And he'd probably repent again. And the next day he'd get pulled right back into it. And it's probably creating a very tough situation for him. Remember that situation that Paul describes in Romans chapter 7? Oh, wretched man that I am, who would deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know for sure, but if God is going to say that Asa's heart was loyal to him all his days, I have to believe what God said. That even in those latter years, his heart was still loyal. We have let the enemy get us down and attack us for things that are not something the Word of God is convicting us for. The Word of God says in the New Testament, Brethren, if our heart does not condemn us, we have peace before God. Your heart is supposed to be renewed on the Word of God. Get it renewed on the Word of God. Listen to your heart. If your heart is pointing at something, that could be wrong, go to the Word. Find out what the Word of God says. The Word of God gives you a, a correction, make it. Do it. Get yourself going. Get yourself back right. Get yourself where you should be. Stop focusing on how often you have repeated a sin, how often that you are caught up in a sin. As Paul talks about it, let us lay aside that sin that so easily besets us. That sin that so easily ensnares us. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but there's a sin that just keeps pulling at you and keeps pulling you down. 
and you think, God must be disappointed in me. I keep letting him down in this area. That is not the word of God. That is the word of the enemy. Because God can look at Asa and say, his heart was loyal to me all his days. Now God can look at David and say, he was right his days, except for this one matter. What matter? The one that he resisted correction on. Don't resist correction. Here's another verse for you that I know you know. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Josiah received grace. David received grace. Asa received grace. You know what? You get to receive grace. Walk in the way that God said. If his word condemns you, points out a sin, says, hey, you missed it on here. If other people begin to point things out, say, you know, the word of God says this. If your heart on the inside begins to rise up and say, I shouldn't be doing this, I shouldn't be doing this, I shouldn't be doing this. Respond. Respond. Don't be proud. Well, I can do that if I want to. Well, who are they to tell me? Why should I be denied such a thing? That's wrong. That'll get you on God's map in a bad way. That'll get you there. It's not good. No, stay with the word. Asa should be a testimony to all of us. If God can look at Asa, even in those last days, as being loyal to him, what do you think he does when he looks at you? The enemy wants to come along and tell you that God doesn't like you, that God looks at all your mistakes, that God is withholding these things from you. And if you don't think so, listen to some of your prayers. Have you ever prayed to God to receive something that seems to be hard for you to get and begin to talk to Him about all the things you have done? But Father, I've read Your Word every day. I spent time with You. I share Jesus with everybody that I come in contact with. That's not going to help you. You're looking to what you have done. As long as you look to what you have done, you'll always stay where you are. You've got to look at what Jesus has done. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Those words should just echo in your head over and over. I have been crucified with Christ. Why are you righteous before God? Because I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm the one who's alive. I live down here on this earth. But not I. But Christ lives through me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Live by faith. Live by faith. You need to live by faith. When I think about all the different topics we've gotten to in all the years that we've been here, it's been a lot of years. You can summarize it all in this way. Every single series, every single Sunday, every time we've gotten together, something has always been emphasized. 
didn't necessarily start off this, but it came to me as we were meditating on some of these things, that first off, first and foremost, we've emphasized walking in love. Walking in love. You need to walk in love. Sometimes we spend a whole series on it. I remember one time we, we spent almost an entire year just on that topic. Walking in love. You need to walk in love. The second thing you need to do is you need to live by faith. You need to live by faith. The just shall live by faith. It's important that we learn how to live by faith. What was Jesus always impressed with with people? Their faith. And so faith has been intertwined in just about everything we do. We always come back on that topic, how to believe God, how to, how to have faith. Walk in love, live by faith. Here's the third one, discerning the voice of the Spirit. Discerning the voice of the Spirit. You need to learn how to discern the voice of the Spirit. Most of us are quick to obey the voice of God. We're not quick to discern what it is. So we teach you things about how to discern it from all the other things that go on that you hear in your, in your life. Those three things are, are crucial to you. You've got to get to know those things. You've got to stay in the Word. You can, you, can you get sharper in living in faith? Can you get better at, li- at walking in love? Can you grow in more understanding on discerning the voice of the Spirit? The Holy Spirit. Yeah, we sure can. We're going to continue to grow in those areas. We're going to continue to, to keep going on it. But pride will make you dull in all three. It'll take you out of your walk in love. It'll take you out of living by faith. And it'll make it hard for you to discern the voice of God over your own voice. And we looked at people in the Bible who though people gave them great wisdom on what to do, they missed it because of a voice that rose up inside and we saw it was pride. Absalom was one. Ahithophel was one. They listened to the voice of pride. Some of David's sons we saw had the same problem. Others in the, in the Bible. It'll, it'll hinder you. You may have to wait to get to heaven to find out exactly why Asa did it. But I think from all the other scriptures in, that are involved, Asa, though it summarizes his last couple of years, it seems that he must have repented some even though he didn't quite overcome this. It seems that he repented. God wants us, when we get correction, to just say, yep, I needed to receive that. I needed to receive that. I need to correct that. But too often, the enemy fills us up with a vision. Now, now, who are you to say that to me? I don't need to have that. I don't need to hear that. And we resist it. That's why our life has never taken off why our Christian walk is not going where it should go. And the times to, to come here, next series we're going to be getting into. We're going to be looking at just that aspect of things, discerning the voice of the Spirit. Spend some time on it. We've, uh, we've intertwined in its mothers, but we haven't actually spent time on just that topic for a little while. So we're going to spend some time on just that topic, discerning the voice of the Spirit. How can you know what the Spirit of God is saying to you? Truthfully, if we always listen to the voice of the Spirit, if everything we did was by the voice of the Spirit, we would never make a bad investment, buy a wrong thing, go in a wrong place, say a wrong word. How many of y'all know we can get a little better? <laughs> we can get a little better at that. And we need to. And we certainly need to. Would y'all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the help that you give us.
that when you send correction our way, we need to hear it. We need to listen. The pride needs to be removed from our life. We need to identify it. We need to get rid of it. There are people in our lives that have a pride problem. We have to be careful how closely we embrace them. We need to embrace those people who have an attitude before God of being humble because that's what we need to emulate. Father, I thank you for the people that are in our lives. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that's in our lives. I thank you for the Word that's in our lives that all help in this area to pinpoint pride and to get it out. We thank you for it. We thank you we can see signs that show us I'm in pride and we can fix it. Thank you for the help in that, Father. We want to go on and live this life the way that you would have us in victory, overcoming. And you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning before we go, the first Sunday of the month, one in which we remember the Last Supper. Ushers are coming around with the elements. Two parts, of course, to, to what the Lord does. Beginning of supper before they had eaten. He took the bread and he broke it. He said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. We just talked about today, the Word of God tells us that many have died and gone home early because they don't discern the Lord's body correctly. We need to understand what the Word says about the body of Christ. Because of it, sickness and disease has no place. We have authority over sickness and disease. Glory to God. At the end of supper, he took the cup. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant, the blood of the bulls and goats, just covered up sin, didn't wash it away. But it would point to the time when Messiah would come and his blood would wash it away. He knew we would have trouble remembering these things, so he says, do this as often. Do this often and remember in this, this way. Because... How many of y'all know that there are Christians out there who don't believe that Jesus died on the cross to accomplish all that he accomplished? That through the beating that he took, we, uh, sickness and disease has no place in us. He bore that already in his body. Already bore it in his body and gave us authority to cast it out of ours. Sickness and disease has no part. Rule, rule over it. And then, of course, people would come along and they would say, you need to do so many good things in order to get over sin. You never know if you're going to make it into heaven until you get there. See if your good works outweigh your bad. And that's wrong. We'll get to heaven because of what Jesus did. So lots of people clouding this issue up. We don't need to cloud it up. We need to keep it very clear. What has he done on the cross. Your understanding of that is a matter of life and death. Not only in this one, but also in the one to come. Word of God tells us that these things are written that we may know. God wants us to know we are saved. We are going to heaven. We can get excited about that. Glory to God, I'm going to heaven afterwards. 
I die, I'm going to heaven. No more down here. Heaven. Y'all know heaven's better. If not, read the Bible some more. You'll find out. Heaven's better. It might be nice down here. It might be good. It might be pretty. Heaven's better. Heaven's a whole lot better. The people are even nicer. Heaven's a good place to be. Yeah. Let's remember this together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. As often as we do this, we have to remember, on his body, let's put our sickness and our disease. It is not to be born in ours anymore. As we eat together, let's remember the work of him. He then took the cup after the end of supper. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. Jesus' blood doesn't cover our sins. It washes them away. They are gone. So much so that we know that David didn't just miss it one time. We saw two other times, but how many of y'all know David missed some other times? But the Word of God doesn't even count them. Doesn't even put any of that in there. Doesn't talk about Josiah and all the things he did before he read the, the book of the law. The blood of Jesus washes away all our sin. When we stand before God, we don't wonder, I wonder if I did enough. Because it's what He did causes us to be clean. Let's drink together. Glory to God. It is good to be born again. It is good to be a Christian. Hope we have some praise reports here. I did see um, at least one that had come in before I got up. Anybody else who has a praise report to give? Didn't write it down yet. Uh, you have some time. You can write that down while we're going over some of these. Mm-hmm. Okay. When I'm done, you can come to yours because I want to give you time. <laughs> okay. Susan said, um, she had a praise report. She said, I had a great week seeing friends and attending the Writers' Conference, and she came back home refreshed and encouraged. You know, it's nice to get away and be with friends. Amen. Um, Candy says she was in prayer, and during the prayer time, all of a sudden, her left arm began to hurt um, from her shoulder to the tips of her fingers. But she began to do what we talked about last week and took authority over it, speak to the pain, and little by little, the pain began to leave until it was completely gone. So I give God all the praise for his healing power. It really does work when you step out in faith. Amen. Anything else? One more coming in. Another one there. (coughs) Oh, this is not it. Oh, it is. <laughs> you fooled me. Um, Daryl said, God has opened a new segment of business to us. Praise God. God is moving in I businesses. Did hear about that. Amen. Yeah. Praise God. Amen. That is good. Yeah. Come on, Lamar. This is Lamar's uh, first Sunday with us in a while and the last one. <laughs> For a while, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um,. Well, I went to, I came back from basic, and one of the things that just amazed me, I mean, uh, Pastor Steve said about it's wonderful to be a Christian. Um, You know, when I first got there, there's a lot of yelling and screaming and things like that, and um, it kind of threw me for a second, because I was prepared to, you know, be obedient, do what I was told to do, you know, dig a hole, fill it up, whatever they wanted me to do. but there were some thim- simple things they told us to do, and I was terrible at marching and things like that. And, you know, you're trying to get it right, and then they're yelling and screaming. So 
literally, I, you know, I said, you know, if they told you to sit down, you'd probably do that wrong. Um, but I got frustrated with it. I was like, you know, this is ridiculous. I mean, this is simple stuff. And, you know, I was, like, afraid almost of these people. And so I said, you know what? I went back, and I whipped out my Bible. God's not giving me a spirit of fear. And I just went over that. And so the next day when the TIs, military training instructors, are, you know, yelling and screaming, I looked at them, and I, you know, I was going over that in my, my mind and speaking. I'm, God is not giving me a spirit of fear. So they're yelling the same way they used to yell, but I was able to hear what they were saying and it wasn't I was instantly did it correctly, but I was I did it better. And as it progressed, I mean, it was we were doing bed drills and things like that. I got to be excellent at this stuff. And people were coming to me asking me to help them with things that I'm like, I'm really not that good at this. Um, but I got really good at it. And by the time that the end came, I was doing stuff. And I was like, my goodness, this, you know, small things, you know. That's an amazingly rolled shirt. It's perfect on both sides. And it only took me about 10 seconds to roll it, where it would have taken me like half a day before. Um, so, I mean, it's, you know, and I, I know Miss Ethel and I, we go over it with the kids, but that practical application of God's word, there isn't anything that you come up against that there isn't an answer to it in there. And it just reinforced me. And I'm, I'm at basically, I'm writing down this stuff because, like, i got to go and teach me and Max this stuff because it's, I mean, and I'm looking at kids who are younger than I am. And, I mean, I beat kids in physical physical stuff, mental stuff, and it wasn't me. I mean, it, was, it took me until maybe like the fifth week of training before I was even slightly sore. And I was only sore because I wasn't feeling good and, you know, I had some throat thing. But, um, you know, I'm just looking at kids who are 18, 19, 20, and they didn't know my age until I told them my age. But even still, it wasn't just, um, you know, everybody knows I run and I play sports and stuff like that. But it was, um, God says that he will renew your strength like the eagles. You will run and not go where you walk and not speak. That's legitimate, real. It's, um, and I saw it walking out because I was thinking, I should be sore by now. I know my tolerances, and I'll get to sore, and I'll just push on through it. But I wasn't even sore. And we're running up and down three flights of stairs. We're doing push-ups, PT in the morning, marching around in Texas heat in this. Um, and God sustained me through that stuff and through some nonsensical stuff that was going on because I'm pushing as hard as I can go, and I've got MTIs because some members of our flight were not diligent. They said, you guys are lazy and unmotivated. Well, I'm getting frustrated because I'm going at 100%, and I know I'm not lazy. I know I'm not unmotivated. But then I went over to that verse in the Bible that says that we don't work unto um, men, we work unto God. So I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter what, who notices what I'm doing or not. I'm going to work as unto God as far as this stuff. And then it didn't matter as far as And certain things are recognized, certain things weren't. But it didn't matter because that's not who I'm working for. So, um, you know, in this next leg, it, but it, it, it's amazing. The wisdom of God and the knowledge of God the wisdom and knowledge that he gives you just shoots you way above everybody else. And sometimes we need to just stop and look at that because it can help. Um, we get frustrated in certain things that we don't know. When you look around at where everybody else is, you're like, wow, God really has blessed you significantly. So, that was. All right. We want to pray over Lamar before he goes cause, uh, and, and Mandy.
because uh, they got another long time. <laughs> February it'll be until he gets to uh, come back from the training. Oh, that's nice. Well, that's good. Get to, and they make you run in that stuff. March, okay. Okay. Gonna say they make some really nice stuff anymore, but you can run it. <laughs> Go ahead.